Welcome to the Different Functional Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to explore the gifts and joys of being neurodivergent using an Easter theme. I am Autumn, the older sister, and my fact of the day is that Easter is actually one of my favorite holidays. Um, it's always been one of my favorite holidays, probably since I was a little kid, because I used to love bunnies. They were my favorite animal, and the idea of a six-foot bunny bringing me candy was just fucking astoundingly amazing. And then I went through, you know, my kind of emo goth, I like Halloween the best type thing. And now as I'm getting older, I'm like, nah, I, I like Easter. It's not so much the religious stuff behind it. It's just the the overall themes of growth and rebirth and emerging into the spring and coming out of your winter chrysalis. And, and I still like bunnies. So yeah, Easter is my favorite holiday. That's interesting to me that Easter is your favorite holiday because Easter is a holiday I forget exists every single year. I am Ivy, the younger sister, and I do not obviously have the same love for Easter that Autumn has. I think though, if I was going to say what my favorite part of Easter is, it's pretty much the same thing as my favorite part of every other holiday. And that would be the food because there's a lot of really good Easter candy. And our family used to make like this uh, Easter bunny cake. It, I mean, it was just a cake, but it was decorated to look like a bunny. And I've made it a couple of times during my adulthood. And even though it's just a regular cake, the fact that it looks like a bunny brings me joy. So yeah, Easter for me is it, like every other holiday. It's all about the food. Other than that, doesn't really mean it doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. The food around Easter is so good, and I do. This is one of the times of year, though, I do get really sad that I can't have the sugar because I love the Easter sugar, all of the candies and all of that, which we will be talking somewhat about in today's episode. But before we jump too far into this, uh, we do just want to make the little caveat and disclaimer, because if you've listened, you know how we are about disclaimers. This episode is going to be all about the gifts and joys of being neurodivergent. And neurodivergent is so much a blanket term. Yes, you have your ADHD and your autistic spectrum, which is blanket enough, but then you can throw in other diagnoses such as BPD or PTSD or whole alphabets in there. And so this is generally speaking, not every single thing we talk about will apply to every single neurodivergent people, but they're things that we have noticed either in ourselves or in our loved ones or acquaintances. And I think they're gifts and we need to look at them and celebrate them. Now, as you know, this episode is called Neurodivergence Easter Eggs. And so we're going to be looking at all of the little Easter eggs, those hidden joys, those hidden happinesses that are just part of being neurodivergent. But I think when we really start looking at neurodivergent, it's more than just hidden Easter eggs. We are a whole Easter basket full of goodies, in my mind anyways. So we're going to look at all of the different goodies that are in our Easter basket and talk about them today. And the one I want to start with, which is my absolute favorite Easter candy, is Cadbury mini eggs. So I think in the majority, if not all, neurodivergent Easter baskets, there are Cadbury mini eggs. And why is this? Well, that's because Cadbury mini eggs are better than all other candies. And I just feel like, you know, Many of us neurodivergent people are better than everybody <laughs> because normality is stupid. Nobody wants to be normal. Nobody wants to be average. And by our very nature, we are different. So go us. I agree. Go us. I also agree that the Cadbury mini eggs are the best. The regular Cadbury eggs, I don't know about those. They got like that weird white goop in them. I'm not a huge fan of that. But the little ones that don't have the goop and they're just chocolate with colorful candy shells, those ones are the bomb. 
actually, I, I kind of threw the ball to Ivy randomly and abruptly there because after I made that statement out loud, it, it sounded a little uh, egotistical. And I thought, you know what, I'll throw this ball to Ivy and she can tone it down. But uh, she had she apparently had no desire to tone down the uh, the inflated ego of being neurodivergent. So yeah, go neurodivergence totally better than everybody else. <laughs> All right. So starting off with that joking note, let's now go into the, the actual meat of the episode. And let's first start about our basket, because the basket is a huge part after all of an Easter basket. So one of the things that I love about so many neurodivergent people I know is that they have unique baskets. And I mean, they have unique ways of presenting themselves and unique ways of dressing and unique ways of behavioral expression and even looking. And one of the reasons I love this is because being autistic or maybe just being me, <laughs> humans look alike. It's very difficult for me to tell most humans apart because they spend so much time trying to look like and act like one another that I have a really difficult time telling them apart. So I love running into neurodivergent people that express this outwardly, whether through their appearance or their behavior, because when I see you again, I will remember you. I will remember that you are Tyrone. I will remember that you are Ashley because you were different and you stuck out in my mind and you were real and you were authentic. And I love the uniqueness of the neurodivergent baskets that I encounter in life. It's funny that you say that a lot of people look alike to you because uh, I, I, I agree with that. But also my friend Casey, who's on the autism spectrum, she always said that she had really bad face blindness and she would just get a sense in her head of what people looked like and she would just go with that forever. And then even if people would change, she wouldn't recognize that they had changed because she had this image in her head of what they looked like and so they would forever look that way. And that's part of why everybody looked the same to, looked the same to her too. When I think of the Easter basket, I actually think of our mom because our mom always had a very distinct look and she was definitely neurodivergent and she was definitely an oddball and she she always had a very distinctive look and she always left a really solid impression on people. And one of the things that I always liked about mom is that she really did dress however she wanted to and she often dressed out of era. She liked wearing Victorian style dresses and she had a love for gaudy costume jewelry. She didn't care about real diamonds and gold and all of that. No, she wanted rhinestones and the more the merrier and the bigger the better and the more colorful the better. And if it came in strange shapes like turtles or dragonflies, she was down for it. And she also really loved hats. And for a while at church, she played piano for one of the kids' classes, and she used to to wear a different hat every Sunday. So she started collecting all of these different hats, and they were crazy, and they were big, or they just looked weird. And she loved doing that because, one, she liked standing apart. She also liked the joy that it brought to other people. That's part of why she did dress a little odd and why she loved the the gaudy jewelry and the big hats because it brought other people joy. It put a smile on their faces and one of the things that comes from that that I always really loved and that I love to see in, in other neurodivergent people who are very expressive through the way that they dress or the makeup that they wear, how they do their hair or what, what they accessorize with, 
one of the reasons why I really like that is because not only are you being truly authentically yourself when you allow yourself that freedom of expression, but it also encourages other people to have that freedom of expression. Culturally and in society, a lot of times the focus is on being uniform and following the trends and fitting in and everybody kind of being the same. And so we do end up looking very much alike. And I love that when people do have that creativity and they feel liberated enough to express themselves through how they present themselves in the world, that gives the opportunity for other people to feel less afraid to do the same. And it gives people ideas for how to be creative in their own forms of self-expression as well. It broadens your horizons. And yeah, not everybody's going to get it. Some people will probably make fun of you or they're not going to understand it or they have a lot of respect for you know, cultural rules and societal scripts. But there are going to be people who might be afraid to express themselves or they may have never even thought about expressing themselves in a certain way. And yet they see you when you've, you're dressed in really bright colors or you're, you're dressed out of era or you've got all of these really bright, fascinating colors in your hair and it makes them want to express themselves differently as well. And so I think that's one of the beautiful things about neurodivergent people is that because we are different and when we really embrace our differences and we express those things, it gives other people more freedom to express themselves and it, it causes people to have to consider things that are outside of the cookie cutter, that are outside of the box and outside of the norms. The crazy thing with this too is that a lot of neurodivergent people end up having unique baskets and expressing themselves even though they may not realize it because that's what happened with me is I have a lot of sensory issues and I was going through a stressful period in my life and one of the things I just could not handle anymore was my hair touching my face I just could not do it if one more strand of hair touched my face I was going to lose my shit and I was doing that regularly and so I literally clipped my hair off and that's just the way I've worn it now for years and to me I'm just like great it's not touching me and I didn't think much beyond that at the time but I've had so many people compliment my hair and I'm like it's not a hairstyle it's my hair not touching me but it's a uniqueness and people have actually admired it even individuals who I would think would be offended by my haircut because they look super feminine or they're super feminine presenting and I think oh they probably think I'm not pretty or whatever they're like oh my gosh it really shows your face I wish I had the bravery to do that and so I think that's one of the great things about this is that sometimes we do this and we don't even realize the uniqueness that we're expressing out. We're just being ourselves or dealing with our issues and that in and of itself breaks that cookie cutter mold. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the next piece in our Easter basket and that is the Easter grass. This is all that filler and fluff. When I was a kid, it was all plastic. My grandma actually used to save it in a little box in the closet and we got the same Easter grass every year. That stuff was pretty wrinkled after a decade. But for the most part, a lot of the neurodivergent people I know, they don't actually have a lot of Easter grass. You know, we stuff it in there trying to make the basket look full, but so many of us have so many goodies, so much stuff in our baskets, there's no room for that grass at all. I'd say that that's very true. Most neurodivergent people, we are just jam-packed full of character and skill sets and just fascinating things. I don't think that there is a whole lot of room for filler and fluff. I think too, Easter grass is not only just put into the basket for filler, but it's also there to make everything look really nice. It's there to prop everything up just right and to add that little extra look to make it look fancy. And I don't know. When I was younger, I did find that I, you know, I, I wanted 
to grab a lot of that grass and put it into my basket and try to look as pretty as all of the others and try to be as you know uniform as the others were and just have it look so aesthetically pleasing. And now as I'm getting older, I'm finding that I care less and less about the filler. I care less and less about the Easter grass. And part of it's because I'm becoming more practical because what am I going to do with that Easter grass? I guess be like grandma and put it aside in a box to reuse it for later. But beyond that, it doesn't really serve much purpose. And I would rather put my resources towards things that feel fulfilling. I want to spend more time being more well-rounded as a person. And so I, I find that a lot of neurodivergent people, as we get older, we do start caring more about how we think, what we think about things, how we feel about things, what's important to us. And we stop caring as much about what everybody else's Easter baskets look like and how much fluff they have and how perfect their hair is or how perfect their makeup is or how fancy their clothes are. Those things stop mattering to us. And we start as well, as we start becoming more authentically ourselves, we care more about what's on the inside of our basket. And we want things there that are meaningful, not things that are fluff. We don't want a bunch of drama and non-essential things. And non-essential, the definition of that can be very different from person to person. But we want in that Easter basket, we want in our Easter basket, for there to be things that are of value to us and not just fluff. And I really like that about neurodivergent people is at some point we just kind of stop caring about those external pressures and expectations. And we just start filling our basket with whatever it is that we enjoy and whatever it is that we value and who cares what anybody else thinks about it. I do like that. And I will have to say, coming again from that autistic perspective, I think some of us didn't get the Easter grass at all because I feel like I was supposed to have the filler and I was supposed to have the fluff. There were a lot of times I feel like I didn't understand the concept of the filler and the fluff. And so I was trying to get somebody some grass and I was like, grass, oh, here's some. And I pulled from some on the lawn and offered it. And they were like, what the hell is that? That doesn't make sense. And that's not what they were actually wanting. Maybe that's why I'm so bad at small talk because it's just that little filler stuff. And I'm like, was not programmed with that. Sometimes I think I didn't get an Easter basket. I got an Easter tackle box. And so, yeah, I, there's no room for grass. Maybe that's why grandma crept in the closet. She's like, that does not belong in my basket. We'll just keep that in the closet. I don't know what she was going to use it for. I was just going to say, it's interesting to me that you feel like you didn't have any Easter grass uh, because I, I think for me, part of the reason why I kept trying to fill my basket with so much of the Easter grass when I was younger is also because I felt like my basket was relatively empty. Like I didn't recognize the value that I had and the skills that I had because it wasn't like everybody else's. And so because it wasn't like everybody else's and it didn't seem to hold as much value to other people, part of the reason I kept trying to shove Easter grass in that basket was also to compensate for the fact that I didn't feel like I had very many goodies to put in there. So the more filler that there was, the more fluff that there was, the more I would both fit in and, you know, have my basket look as pretty as other people's, but also people wouldn't notice what goodies I didn't have. That's one of the magical things about growing older as a neurodivergent person is getting to that point where you realize, holy crap, I actually have a lot of goodies. What do I have all this fluff in here for? So it's interesting to me that your experience was different with that. And that's, you know, why we're talking in this episode about neurodivergence in as general of a way as we can, because everybody's experiences are going to be different with, within that blanket term of neurodivergence. It, it is very different. And that is one of the reasons I really wanted to do this episode specifically, though, is because a lot of us, because we are so busy masking, we are so busy being told to sit down and sit still and be different and be presentable, 
that we forget about the gifts we have and we don't realize how overflowing our basket already is with candy and toys. And I think there are a lot of us out there trying to stuff Easter grass in it. Even if it's just in my case, I was just trying to stuff lawn grass in it so that I could fit in with the other kids. We forget all the amazing things that are already in there. And on the note of Easter grass, one of the other things I want to talk about specifically with that, that I see in a lot of neurodivergent people as well, is we're very, very authentic. We don't really need as much filler because we're not talking around stuff so much. Most of us that I know, we say what we mean and we say it literally. We're not giving you sub messages. We're not giving you, please read between the lines, or if you don't know, then I'm not going to tell you. We literally say what we mean. And that is such a valuable asset. You have no idea how valuable that is to some people. My boyfriend, for example, that's one of the things he's repeatedly told that he loves about me is that he never has to guess what I'm thinking. He never has to guess what message I'm giving him because I am very, very clear about it. And when I see that he's not interpreting what I gave him, like I, I said something wrong or I mistakenly used a word that we didn't agree on the same definition, I'll provide a continued explanation. And he actually loves that I overshare. He loves that I explain myself so often and so frequently because he doesn't have to guess anymore. He's not left in the darkness trying to figure things out with people that are giving him cues he doesn't understand. And so again, it's one of those things that some of us may think, oh, that's so annoying. I'm always oversharing. I need to shut my mouth. But there are people out there that will appreciate that so much in you. I'm one of those people that appreciate that. <laughs> I think a lot of neurodivergent people, we do appreciate it when other people do that as well. Yeah, it is so much more helpful when people just say what it is that they mean and they're not trying to talk circles around it or follow certain scripts. We just, we say what we mean and we mean what we say. All right, so the next thing that we are putting into our Easter baskets here is just random toys. You know, wall walkers, little parachute men, silly putty, Play-Doh, balloons, squirt guns, that kind of stuff. And this is representative of how neurodivergent people, we tend to be a jack of all trades or Jane of all trades, if you will, in that we know a bit about almost anything and we can do a bunch of random stuff. We may not be great at it, but we are somewhat competent at doing a lot of things. And I've also noticed too that we, we tend to have a bunch of random stuff that seems to come in handy because our interests have been varied and we have tried all sorts of different things. And then you end up with stuff left over because you get really into woodworking for a bit. And then you get really into working with leather, but you still have all of this woodworking stuff or you get really into bicycling. And then you switch and you're super into rock climbing. So you have all of this gear and it comes in handy for all sorts of random stuff. Just recently, my boyfriend was saying that he really wished that he had a soldering tool. And I was like, oh, I have one of those. And he just looked at me and he was like, why would you have one of those? Well, I had one because I got into wood burning for a while and that tool and the stuff that came with it also came with my wood burner. So I happened to have that. And it's the same thing with stuff like tape and glue or paint. Anytime he seems to need something like that, oh, I have some of that. And I feel like that's true of a lot of neurodivergent people. We've had a lot of variance in our interests and our hobbies, and we collect a lot of things over time. We also collect a lot of skill sets and knowledge about things that is very useful and comes in handy, not just in helping ourselves, but in helping other people as well. This is one we overlook a lot or we downplay a lot because we're like, oh, I can do a little bit of everything, but I'm not really good at anything. And I think society, especially, especially, especially the employment market, because I run into this a lot with employment, is they want you to have been really good at one 
thing. And I'm not. I'm really, I'm pretty decent and kind of great at a whole lot of shit, but I'm not wonderful at any one thing. And that's part of why I love that quote. So the original quote that we usually only hear part of is a jack of all trades, a master of none, right? Well, the full quote is a jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. And I love knowing that full quote because, yeah, I know a little bit about everything, but I know a little bit about everything. I didn't just specialize. I'm not over here completely impotent in all other fields. That's an amazing trait that we really need to celebrate more, that diversification of skill sets. And with those random toys in the basket, sometimes there's a super awesome toy in the basket. The transformer that you were wanting to get, the Barbie doll, whatever that toy is that you really wanted. You're like, oh my God, this is the best toy. And I think that applies to us neurodivergent people as well, that sometimes we have really extreme talent. Yes, we are that Jack or Jane of all trades and we know a little bit about everything, but a lot of us also have extreme talents in certain areas. And like some of these other gifts we've been talking about, we overlook them. And we think, oh, that's not important because that toy has always been in our Easter basket. And we don't realize how amazing that toy is to other people. Or we may not realize how amazing it is to us until we really start coming into our authenticity and allow ourselves to really play with that toy and explore the possibilities of that. An example for me is I process information apparently very, very differently than other people. And I never saw this as anything special. And I was honestly just constantly baffled by people's inability to make what I saw as commonplace, understandable, easy kindergarten level connections between various subjects, generalizations, situations, and the like because my mind does that automatically. When I get a piece of information coming in, it triggers a spider web of connections that automatically tugs on thousands or millions of other data points that are sometimes relevant, sometimes not relevant, but somehow all attached to this one single piece of information. And so for the longest time, I thought, no, that's just how people think. It took me years to realize, no, that's an extremely special and unique way of thinking that has some extreme benefits because it is a really great talent. But I was probably in my 30s before I realized that's what it was. This was an awesome toy. This was the top of the line transformer. And I was treating it like it was just a piece of junk in the yard. You know, I think a lot of us fall into that trap of thinking that we are average or that our talents are average or our skill sets are average or possibly even below that as though they are not worthy of notice. And, and I think a couple of things are going on there. One, because we do tend to operate differently. We think differently. We express ourselves differently. Everything is different for us, we fall into this trap of thinking that everybody else must operate that way too, because that's what would make sense. Well, if I operate this way, then other people must operate that way too. Even when we know we're different, sometimes we can still fall into that trap. But I think one of the other things that is happening there that stops us sometimes from recognizing those extreme talents or that, the super fancy toys that we have, what stops us from recognizing that on some things we are top tier, top shelf quality is that for so many of us, it, our differences when we were younger in particular, sometimes even as adults too, but in particular when we were younger, our differences set us apart in ways that made us feel 
like a burden or that got us bullied or made fun of. For many of us, it's hard to see our own value because we were put down for so many other things. And sometimes when that happens, you start thinking, well, I have no value at all. Because that's such a huge part of your life during those developmental years, sometimes we lose track of what is really brilliant about us because we were put down for so long. It doesn't even occur to us that we would have anything worthwhile or brilliant in us because we were persecuted or punished for so much of what made us different. I say that is extremely accurate, especially for those Gen Xers and those millennials that are all those late diagnosis now, because I see a lot of them on TikTok, late diagnosis autism, late diagnosis ADHD, and you hear so many of them and they have trauma associated with not having this diagnosis because of how they were treated by their parents or by the schools or by society at large because society and schools and teachers didn't know better and they really feel shitty about themselves because they always thought they were just broken or didn't measure up and that's so not the case they were just uniquely amazingly wonderfully different all right so the next thing in our easter basket is all the little games you get the travel games maybe little mini lego sets uh the little like six piece puzzles you can put together Ooh, or even better those little slider puzzles god i love those they're like nine little pieces and you like slide them to make the picture love those things and uh the little books you know all those little those little thinky things like i said already i think very very differently than other people around me and that's very true for other neurodivergent people as well we all think very differently when i'm able to actually have an in-depth conversation with another person that's neurodivergent whether that's autistic or adhd or even ptsd or bipolar if i can talk to them about how do you think how does your thinking actually occur I am always mind blown by what they come back to me, by the analogies that they provide me, by what's going on in their brain, because it is so unique and so different. And the way they see the world and the way they process information and the way they take these building blocks and what they create from it. And I love that. I like having that complementary, that difference, that foreignness out there so that I can really expand and balance. So I love how different neurodivergent people view the world and how we take that information and we can process it so uniquely from person to person. I feel like we are all intensely curious people. On some level, I think we started developing these skill sets out of necessity in order to mask and to fit in as best we could. We had to gather all this information and pay closer attention to everything than the average person does. But then I think over time we become really, really curious and we start gathering information because we're fascinated by it. And I think a lot of us start thinking about thinking. We get fascinated by the processes that other people go through when they're trying to figure out a puzzle or make sense of something. And we can view those things with more objectivity because our curiosity allows us to. We're not, most of us anyway, from what I've noticed, we're not so dead set on this one way of thinking that we can't even tolerate the idea of something else. We are so intensely curious. We want our horizons to be broadened. We want other things to consider. We may not agree with everything that comes at us, but we want to know how things work. We want to know how other people think. We want to understand processes. We want answers. We want to ask questions, even if there is no answer readily available, because it becomes part of us. This information gathering and processing and analyzing and breaking things down and putting the pieces back together, if that starts to become natural to us, ultimately that's a gift. 
And we don't always recognize that, but we have so much capacity for knowledge and so much resourcefulness and adaptability when it comes to learning things. Even if we don't make use of everything that we learn, we're still learning things. Our minds stay active and, and we can branch out into so many different directions. And I think that's very beneficial for us, but also for the world. I think it, it makes us more inventive and creative and gives us more of an ability to actually change how things work, whether we mean to or not. You know, one of the, the things that, that kind of comes with this that can be a little bit of a stumbling block if we're not careful is thinking that something is obvious when it's not. It's obvious to us, but it's not necessarily obvious to others. And this is a trait that I've noticed in pretty much every neurodivergent person that I have known, including myself. Because of how we process information, because of how we shape and form our perspectives of things, there's so many things that seem like, oh, but that's common sense. And we get frustrated with other people when it's not obvious to them. That's one of the things that we do have to be mindful of is to not get frustrated with other people not having enough common sense or seeing things for being as obvious as they are. And I see this a lot in my boyfriend. He's he's very uh, engineer minded. He's great with math. And sometimes he'll start talking about math or he'll start talking about chemistry or things along those lines. And I'm just staring at him because I that's not my strong point. And he gets frustrated sometimes and he, he gets frustrated with other <laughs> with other people, too, because he's like, I don't understand. It's not that hard. But to him, calculus is as simple as two plus two equals four. And so he can't always understand why other people don't understand calculus. And I think a lot of us who are neurodivergent, we have something like that, where it's very obvious to us. It's very clear. Of course, it's like that. How could you not see that? And we can find ourselves getting frustrated with other people, which can be a little bit of a stumbling block, uh, especially in our social interactions with other people. And we do need to be mindful of that. But what that does give us is the opportunity to expand our horizons even more, to use our curiosity to instill curiosity in other people and have these conversations with others that they might not always get the opportunity to have. And that's a gift in and of itself. There's so many ways in which we touch other people and we touch the world without even realizing that we're doing it. That's one of them is breaking the mold and just really looking outside the box. You know, you talk about us neurodivergent people uh, accidentally thinking that something is common sense when it's not common sense. One of the things that I also see in neurodivergent people, though, is that we are more open to accepting the idea that, okay, maybe it's not common sense. Because I see a lot of neurotypical people do this as well. I think all humans do this where we we have that egocentric base because this is where we operate from is within ourself, within our body, within our brain, within our life. And so we're prone to egocentrism. That makes sense. But I see a lot of people that are never open to the idea that others are different from them, that somebody could possibly think differently or act differently than a way they understand. That is one of the talents that neurodivergent people have, though, is even though we may think it's common sense, once we're able to get enough information to identify, oh, everybody doesn't get that, everybody doesn't think that way, we may not fully understand it. The concept of thinking differently or not knowing this piece of information or not having this particular subject come easy to you is still foreign. Like for me, I can't understand how people don't connect knowledge the way I do. That's such a foreign idea to me. But I have the ability to accept that, 
okay, I could see how that could be though. I may not understand it. I may not be able to place myself in that lived experience, but I can accept that people think differently and take a step back from that mentality instead of just staying stuck in the idea that, well, difference is wrong. Different is just different. That's a talent that a lot of neurodivergent people have and that we learn to foster over time because when we're treated as wrong because we're different, that is offensive and it is painful and it is harmful to us. And being harmed by that idea, a lot of us go out of our way to ensure we don't harm others with that. And so we're more willing to be open in that way. You know, on that note, I would say that that also extends beyond just, you know, the skill sets that we have and the specialized knowledge that we have. I think that even extends out into our belief systems and our views of the world. It does seem to me that along with neurodivergence comes this fluidity of being able to see and witness and objectively view other belief systems, other perspectives without feeling actively threatened by them. And it allows us to have somewhat more objectivity and neutrality about things. I believe one of the benefits of neurodivergence to society at large is that I believe a lot of us are kind of a balancing point because we are able to have our, our own firm convictions but still allow for the fact that other people are not only different from us, but that they are going to have different viewpoints and they're going to have different belief systems. And that is not necessarily a threat to us. As long as we can live and let live, it's not a threat to us if other people believe and think and see things differently. That's a good thing. And so I find that neurodivergent people are a balancing point for society because we do have more objectivity and we can take a step back and not feel personally threatened by the viewpoints of others as long as they're not forced upon us or inflicted upon us. That is so accurate. And I have no way to segue that from that, though, into our next piece. So I'm just going to do a hard segue here. So the next little bit in our in our basket are the craft kits and the sidewalk chalk. I don't know if y'all got sidewalk chalk in your Easter basket. If you didn't, you were missing out. Love sidewalk chalk. But anyways, to get this back into the uh, the symbology of our episode, a lot of neurodivergent people have higher levels of creativity and with that hand in hand, higher levels of resourcefulness. This is something that even society at large tends to recognize because we do have that concept of the idea that madness and genius and madness and art artists, that all goes hand in hand. And I think to some degree that's true, though it's not necessarily madness. It's not insanity. It's just that neurodivergence. It's being differently wired allows us to see the world differently, allows us to express ourselves differently. And so we do have higher levels of creativity. And I say hand in hand with that is resourcefulness because resourcefulness is one of the highest, most functional levels of creativity there there is. I am what I would consider an extremely resourceful person. And part of this is me being scared to ask for help because I'm afraid I won't receive it or I'm afraid I'll be punished for asking or not understanding something. Part of it is me having to have made my own accommodations for so long. And sometimes it's just me being curious to see if I can do something, if I can make something work. My whole life has become resourceful. I don't like working, which means I don't have a lot of money because I don't work a lot and I don't work stressful jobs. 
being poorer means I have to come up with some shortcuts for things. I learn how to make bookshelves out of pallets. I learn how to make beds out of pallets. I learn how to make a lot of things out of pallets because pallets used to be free. But I do, I look at something and I don't just see, hey, what is this object? I start with the problem and I say, what could fill that hole? It's still a form of creativity, taking the resources you have around you and using them in new novel ways to meet your needs. I think that's an excellent form of creativity that a lot of us have. I have always been so proud of my ability to MacGyver things. And if you're of a younger generation and you don't know who MacGyver is, you're missing out and you should go try to find some old episodes of MacGyver. Because that's what it, it is. It's finding yourself in a pinch and being able to gather together some random things and find a way to make it work. And it does seem that people who are neurodivergent are better equipped to do that. And some of that is based on necessity. Some of that is based on being in a pinch multiple times before because we are different and we have to survive in a culture that does not celebrate differences. And some of it's because we are deeply curious and we have learned a lot of things and if we run into a problem rather than trying to get somebody else to take care of it for us i i find that it's more fulfilling for us to go in search of how to do those things ourselves to find ways to get it taken care of ourselves and I mean, i'm also just terrified to ask other people for help for the most part because i'm mostly terrified of speaking to other people so a lot of times i will go so far out of my way to do something my <laughs> to do something myself just because I don't want to involve other people in the process. But I would also say that you know along with that idea of uh, bringing creativity into every part of our lives that goes into some of the things we were talking about before with being a a jack of all trades and a master of none and that goes into artistic forms as well. We become much more open-minded about what art is. We may not appreciate all forms of art in the sense of loving it, but we are more open-minded about what art is. You know, just personal example, I am a fan of Van Gogh and Rembrandt. I do not like Andy Warhol work and I don't like Picasso. So art, I can still look at it objectively and be curious about it and fascinated by it. I wouldn't hang it up in my house, but I feel that we are overall more open-minded and accepting of different forms of creativity. We see more forms of creativity and we become more open-minded in general. You know, what I was mentioning before about different belief systems, to me, that's a form of creativity. Seeing the, the creation and the creative expression in everything, in ourselves, in other people, you know, seeing how the universe operates in the cycles of nature, like all of that is a form of creation. All of that is creative expression of different kinds. And to me, I, I feel that neurodivergent people are more easily able to see that big picture and to see all of these different forms of creativity and, and all of these different expressions. And we can appreciate them even if we don't necessarily agree with them. That allows us, again, to have an impact on other people. Because these things that we get very passionate about, whether it's an art form or some other form of creativity, we get excited about it and we become fixated on it. And when we get an opportunity, an opportunity to talk to other people about it or to teach them about it, we get excited about that process too, about introducing other people to this thing that we love. We have such an ability to arouse that interest and that passion and that love in other people, even if it's not for the same thing that we're super interested in. 
sometimes when I've talked to people about one of my interests that I'm really, really passionate about, they may not feel the same passion for that particular thing, but it reminds them of something that they really wanted to learn about or that they were really passionate about at one point or another. And they want to get back into it because they miss that feeling that they can feel coming from me. They miss that passion. And so maybe they do get interested in the same thing as me and I have an opportunity to express that to them and help them and teach them. And other times it's just bringing that feeling back in them because I do think that so many people, especially as we get older and we get caught in just the drudgery of life, we do lose passion and we do lose enthusiasm and we stop being excited about things. And one of my favorite things about neurodivergent people is that there is a part of us that never loses that. We still have that excitement and enthusiasm and passion. We don't always get to express that openly because, because it's not uniform, because it does make us different. But when we can express that openly, I do feel like we have such an ability to impact other people for good. What you just said, though, that ties in exactly is it's not uniform and it's not really allowed when you have that extreme interest or that specific niche uh, joy uh, that is usually you are the geek, you are the nerd, you need to grow up. You know, if you're super excited about this or that, you need to calm down. That's so ridiculous. You're an adult now. And there is so much of that societal deadening of those interests so that we can be more uniform. When we see other people express their interests or follow that obsession that they have with civil war history even or the migratory patterns of birds whatever it happens to be it does free up others to feel like i could pursue my interest it's safe and okay and acceptable for me to care about whatever it is they want to care about you're in essence you allowing yourself to authentically be overwhelmed by the joy of creation or to have that specific interest gives these other person permission to do the same and it also frees them up to start seeing the joy around them because they do get those societal blinders on and we're only seeing the work and we're only seeing the machine because we're the cog you take those blinders off and you see all sorts of stuff i would also note on that that we need people that have that rampant enthusiasm or certain things that have those things that they get hyper fixated on. Yeah, it, it can be something that ostracizes us, but the world needs that quality because without it, so much of the technology that we have would not exist. So much of the art forms and the storytelling, the movies, the books, the, the visual art mediums, we wouldn't have those things. People don't realize how valuable those skill sets are because they are an anomaly and they they do tend to ostracize us because it makes us not uniform but what so many forget is that the world really does need people with those qualities because without it we would not have a lot of the technologies that we have. We would not have a lot of the answers in terms of science that we have. We would not have a lot of the art forms that we rely on to help us get through the drudgery of life. And so next time somebody does put you down for having that rampant enthusiasm, just remember that whether they recognize it or not, the world needs you. They need you. So much yes. The world needs you. I love that idea. I love that, Ivy. So now let's talk about the candy in the Easter baskets, or at least the things that potentially 
hold the candy in the Easter baskets, and that is the hollow Easter eggs. So those are little two-piece plastic shells of bright colors. You pop them open and there could be candy or money or nothing or who knows what's in them. That's, that's the fun of them. For most neurodivergent people, our lives are completely full of these Easter eggs because our lives are completely full of mysteries that we just don't understand. Other people got a script book. Other people got this, this laid out template that the orange eggs contain this and the blue eggs contain that and the green eggs contain this. We didn't get that, which means that we are constantly confronted with thousands upon thousands of little mini mysteries, sometimes daily, trying to figure out, well, what's inside this Easter egg? What's in this social situation? What did they really mean when they said that? Because we don't know. And while that seems more like a frustration than a gift, I have found that to be somewhat of a gift over time because it has led me to have a lot of knowledge. And I've seen the same way with other neurodivergent people. They have a lot more understanding of how things operate. They have had to study the weight of the egg, the smell of the egg, the way it shakes in order to determine what's in it before they open it so they're not surprised, so they don't have something unpleasant happen. And I think that's an awesome gift that we have is our ability to understand these mysteries because we have more understanding about these mysteries, about these social situations and about these social scripts than most people ever will. And I would go even beyond that about mental health in general. So many of us have had to think about, like I said, everything, including our mental health and our reactions and our emotions and how our body works and all of these other things that we have a super in-depth knowledge that other people just don't have. I also feel that one of the traits that we have that's it's very beneficial and it kind of ties into some of the other things that I've already mentioned in the episode, but it's the, the greater understanding of the mysteries of the universe or of the world and, and of humanity and the ability to accept the ambiguity in existence, that things are a little fluid, that they are a little fuzzy, that there, for some things, there's no clear cut, concrete answers. We're still curious. We still want to know, but it would almost be disappointing if we did have all of the answers, if everything was concrete, because then there's no more room for that curiosity to flourish and grow. And so I find that we are more accepting of the ambiguity that comes with existence and whether we believe, you know, in a higher power and that everything happens for a reason, or we believe that there's just random numbers and things just happen at random sometimes and we have no control over it. I find that we are more able to accept that than the average person is. We don't feel as threatened by it. We look at it with more objective curiosity. We're more able to embrace that and to move on and continue moving on with our lives without feeling threatened by the fact that not everything is black and white and rigid and concrete. I also believe that along with that comes greater adaptability to change because we have gotten so many of these little Easter eggs and we shake it and we kind of try to see through the through it using the sunlight or whatever. But you don't really know what's in there until you open it. You can guess, but you don't really know what's in there until you open it. And you don't know if that thing is going to change your life. I feel that we are so much more adaptable to change, whether we like it or not. And not every neurodivergent person likes change. Some really hate it. 
I have have come to love change. I hated it when I was younger because it was scary to me, but the older I get, the more change-driven I have become because so many changes have happened and I've had to go through so many transitions and metamorphoses. And so for me, it's become something that I really love. But whether we like it or not, we are used to change happening and we are better able to roll with the punches. We are better in moments of crisis. We are better in transitions because we are more open-minded. We are more accepting of ambiguity. We are more accepting of the fluidity that comes with life and natural cycles. And so we can adapt to it faster and better, I think, than the average person is able to. And I really believe that that is a, along with resourcefulness, is a solid gift that we often don't give enough credit to in ourselves. I can definitely testify to that idea because coming from the opposite of where Ivy is, I detest change. I love my routine. The tiniest alteration to my plans or my routine drives me insane. I hate it. But I have had to pivot so much. I have had to change so much. I have had to deal with so much ambiguity that I am, like it or not, (laughs) mostly I don't, an extremely adaptable person. And so when life throws me that curveball, I have learned again and again and again that I, I can deal with it and I know I can and I have that confidence in me. And yes, it did take me probably a couple, three decades, three and a half, but it took me a long time to learn that. But I do know that and I have that solid understanding. And that's not something I actually see in a lot of other people. A lot of people that are just going through life, they've never had any mental health issues. They're not neurodivergent and everything's going great for them until it isn't. And that isn't will destroy them. And sometimes that isn't is a tiny thing. It's a breakup. It's a loss of a job, which for me is just you fold this into the day and you keep going because I have had so many huge changes. And even the tiny changes, like I said, that little alteration to my routine seem gigantic to me. And so I have learned to handle it and I can pivot. And I think one of the other things that goes with these Easter eggs And knowing, like Ivy said, that we never really know what's in it until it's open. That's the thing. We don't really know. And we know that we don't know until it's open because the rest of the people got that script book. They got it laid out that orange eggs have this and blue eggs have this and purple eggs have this. And yet through our own research, we know that sometimes you open an orange egg and it's not a Reese's peanut butter cup. It's a $1 bill. Or you open that orange egg and it's an M&M. The script book may have said it was supposed to be a Reese's peanut butter cup, but it is not every time. And we are aware of that. And what that means for us is we have less pre-judgments, which a lot of times equates out to we have less prejudice. We don't go into situations assuming that because you are black, because you are gay, because you are Muslim, that you are going to be a certain way or act a certain way. Because we know that orange egg doesn't always equal Reese's peanut cutter cup. We know that being black doesn't always equal whatever stereotype society has told us we should believe about you. That in itself is an excellent gift because we have so many prejudices running rampant, creating such violence and creating such hatred in society. If you have a section of people that can be aware of those prejudgments, aware of the fact that every egg may have something different inside of it, regardless of what society tells you, that's an excellent way to start rewriting that script, to start curbing that violence and reducing that hatred. And that's one of the reasons why I say that I feel that neurodivergent people 
have such a capacity for change that we are capable of being a balancing point because we are adaptable and our perceptions are adaptable and we can accept that things are not always going to be the way that we thought that they were going to be. We are capable of changing our perspectives as we need to and we're capable of accepting when things are different than we expected them to be. Because some of those people, they got the script and orange egg meant Reese's peanut butter cup and they open that orange egg and it's a dollar bill and they do one of two things. Either they eat that dollar bill because no, it must be a Reese's peanut butter cup. It doesn't look like it. It looks like an, an awful lot like a dollar, but it has to be a Reese's peanut butter cup. So I'm gonna eat it. Or they open that egg, they see the uh, dollar bill and now they're angry because this was supposed to be a Reese's peanut butter cup and now my reality is shattered and I cannot accept this because this was supposed to be a Reese's peanut butter cup because this is an orange egg. You cannot put a dollar in an orange egg. And because neurodivergent people either didn't get the script or they saw the script and they're like, yeah, but there's got to be a margin for error. We have the ability to be that balancing force because we don't double down as much in our belief systems as the average person does because we do know that things change and we do have broader horizons internally and so when something comes along that challenges us will we still have some resistance and some cognitive dissonance i'm sure to a degree we do i will admit i do sometimes but we do change and we do adapt easier than the average person does. I do feel like we're less likely to double down when we are faced with evidence that's contrary to what we believed things to be. In addition to that, we have more of the capacity as well that when we open that that Easter egg and we see a dollar or we see a Reese's peanut butter cup or we see a bag of Skittles or we see a pretty rock, like it doesn't matter as much to us because we didn't have those prejudgments and we are so open and we are so curious that we're grateful for what it is that we find and we want to know more about it and we want to make the most of what it is that we have. We don't get as angry when things don't go the way that we expect them to because we're looking for opportunities and we're living in our curiosity and when the wind shifts and it changes well i guess we're going to we're going to shift and we're going to change too and there's always opportunity there and i i think that we are more capable of seeing that because we are so curious and we are so resourceful and we are so adaptable and we are so open minded and we are so creative and that culmination of things, that's what makes us the balancing point in culture and in society. It's what gives me any hope for humanity still is that there's, there's those of us out there who can stand in the middle and look at everything and be able to adapt and be able to shift the way that we think and the way that we act and the way that we perceive other people. And we have the ability to pull things back into balance. And I think this is one of the random paradoxes of neurodivergency that gets confusing for a lot of people, because especially being on the autistic spectrum, do I have rigid thinking? Yes. Do I detest change? Yes. Do I overreact when things do not meet my expectations? Yes. And so I seem like this crazy person because I have all of these symptoms, right? But that means I have training on how to deal with them on a big scale. And I think that's where that difference is, is yes, it seems weird that how can I have rigid thinking, but be so flexible? How can I be so abhorrent of change yet be adaptable? How does that work? 
because I have been forced to through my own life and my own issues to have to figure that out and to work with it. And so when I encounter those big things, I can make those pivots and a lot of people never had to. And so they can't. And so they end up being on that larger scale, on those bigger points, on those huge things that really affect their life and the lives of people around them. They have the rigidity. They have the fear of change. They have the lack of adaptability because they never had to learn it. So let's talk jelly beans. I feel like jelly beans are a quintessential Easter candy. They go hand in hand with one another. And in today's neurodivergent Easter basket symbology, jelly beans are going to be representative of all of the people in our life. And there are tons of them. You may or may not like the jelly beans and the different flavors they come in, just like you may or may not like all the people in your life and the different flavors they come in. You know, I think also for neurodivergent people, though, these jelly beans also kind of represent our knowledge about people. And while that may seem odd because a lot of us people that are neurodivergent are supposed to not understand the social scripts or not behave according to them, I think a lot of us have some very in-depth knowledge that non-neurodivergent people don't typically have. I didn't realize this for the longest time, as with many of the neurodivergent gifts I had. You know, I had realized late in life, I think um, late 20s, early 30s, that I was autistic. And so I kind of bought into that concept. Oh, that's why I don't know anything about social scripts. And I will admit that if I'm in the middle of a social situation, yes, I am terrified and often have no clue what's going on. But if I'm given the chance to observe it or look back on it in retrospect... I have all sorts of knowledge. I'm able to pick it apart. I'm able to see all these sorts of things. And I realize this because one day I'm in the office, a coworker comes in and starts talking to another coworker and they have this whole thing and they leave. And the coworker that's still sitting there is like, I don't understand why they said that. And I was basically able to completely break down their five minute interaction into step by step what you said, how they interpreted it, the reason they interpreted it that way based on their expression of this while they did this behaviorally, etc, etc, etc. And they're like, that is insane. How do you do that? And I'm like, how do you not do that? You're an extremely social extroverted person that gets along with everybody. How do you not have this knowledge? And that's the thing. They were an extremely extroverted person that gets along with everybody. They never had to learn these things. They never had to open the clock and figure out how it worked so that they could pretend to be the clock. And that's what a lot of us have had to do. Like I said, I'm still lost in that situation myself, but I have a lot of knowledge about people skills. And I think a lot of neurodivergent people do because we've had to study in ways that other people just have not had to. I would say for sure that it's it, it hits different when you have to figure it out by analysis and education versus just operating on pure instinct. Because I've also noticed that I've known some really extroverted people who have no fucking clue what's happening in their relationships and no clue what's actually going on in between the lines and interactions between other people because they're just operating on instinct. They've never had to think about it. But when you have had to think about it and you have to pay really close attention, it, it's a whole different ballgame. One of the other things about jelly beans and people <laughs> is that you never know for sure what you're going to get until you bite into them. But don't bite people. Just, you know, there, there are other ways to get to know people. Biting them is probably not going to tell you a whole lot about them. <laughs> um, but 
with with jelly beans, you know, we use that example of you know how Jelly Belly has so many different flavors of jelly beans, and some of them are wonderful and amazing. And then they have those ones that are probably just essentially there for gross out purposes and for pranks. And you never really know for sure if you're getting a yummy apple flavored Jelly Belly or if you're getting something that's going to taste like vomit. Like you don't know until you bite into it because some of them look so similar to each other. And it's very similar with people. You have no idea. Just based on you know, superficial things, you have no real idea what a person is going to be like. You can make some guesses, but it's not always going to be correct. And one of the things that comes with the neurodivergence, because a lot of us don't have natural social skills and we have had to educate ourselves and actually be observant and pay attention to other people and, and really learn how to read between the lines, is that we've gotten real good at that. It becomes almost second nature to us to be able to read between the lines because it was necessary for us to be able to. So while we can't know absolutely for certain whether this person is, you know, an apple flavored jelly belly or a vomit flavored jelly belly, we can probably guess better than the average person. And one of the ways that I feel this is very beneficial is that, that we are actually much more understanding of human nature. And because of that, we are less likely to fall into cults and bandwagon thinking and fads and cheap marketing gimmicks and pyramid schemes and MLMs. I feel like we are less likely to fall into those traps because we are more aware of the duality that comes with human nature. We are more wary of people. And so we are more intentional in our interactions with others. And we are more intentional in forming relationships or keeping people at a distance. And we do that based on, to a certain degree, just educated guessing, but it is educated guessing. And we do make informed choices about the people that we allow into our lives and allow to get close to us. And I think we're better at reading people because we've had to be. I would say this is one of those traits that's not just specific to necessarily autism or ADHD either. I would say this goes out more into that neurodivergence of the broader mental health categories. And specifically, I'm thinking of PTSD because I know that for me, the trauma that I went through as a child was a big part of why I did crash course, hardcore doctorate level studies on how people work and how they interact and how they behave because you had to know to survive. And that is part of why many of us become better at reading people or can innately read people automatically without thinking about it because it was a survival trait. It wasn't a like, gosh, I'd really like to have some friends. It was, gosh, I'd really like to eat or not get beaten today sort of thing. And while that does suck, it does have its, its value in our adult lives to be able to to read people like that. And it goes into the next thing that's in our Easter basket, which flipping back, not exactly food. I don't recommend eating these plushies and stuffed animals. I would say in a lot of ways, many of the people that I know that are neurodivergent are to some degree a plushie or stuffed animal. Yes, we can be thorny. Yes, we can throw out boundaries like brick walls. But because we've been through so much, we have, at least on a personal level, maybe not on a global level or society level, but on a person-to-person -person level, we have more understanding and less judgment of people. We're more accepting. Uh, I don't know how this conversation came up at work, but somebody was talking about a drug addict in their life. And another person responded, I just can't understand how anybody could use drugs. That doesn't even make sense to me. And that blew my 
mind. I have never been an addict. I have never been an alcoholic, but I have lived with one. I was raised by one and I get it. I understand it. I am able to open up my perspective enough to see the amount of pain they were in, to see the amount of disorder that was happening in their lives, to understand the appeal of the addiction and to understand the use of the substances they did use. I got it. I understood it. And so it blew my mind that other people could not perceive this. But it's true. They don't. And I think one of the things that lends me is it lends me a degree of empathy or sympathy or however you want to term that when it comes to other people. When I see people acting out, yes, I will get ferocious with my boundaries because I have to be very protective of my own mental health. But I can still say, I understand why you're going through that. I'm not blaming you for this. I may be frustrated with it, but I get why you're there. I get what's happening. And I can feel for that person because I understand it. Not because I've been through that exactly, but because I've seen enough my own self that I've had to widen my perspective. You know, I see a, a huge crossover when I'm on social media or just interacting with people. I see a big crossover between the people who identify as neurodivergent and the people who identify as empaths. And I don't think that's an accident. I, I think people who are neurodivergent for a variety of reasons, their own trauma, because they are different, because we are more open-minded and, and capable of seeing things from different angles that maybe other people are not willing or able to see them from, we do end up having more empathy in a lot of ways. I mean, I will admit that I, on a more global scale, consider myself to be pretty judgmental of humanity. But like Autumn was talking about on a person-to-person -person level, one of the most common things that I hear from people is, wow, you're so non-judgmental. Because when I actually sit down with somebody and I am listening to them talk and I'm hearing their story, it's like, yeah, people do things. Like, we make mistakes. I can understand why you made that choice. I've made mistakes of my own. Who am I to judge? And I feel that neurodivergent people are more likely to be that way. We are more likely to be able to see things from multiple angles and to be able to see things from that other person's perspective. We're able to have some level of empathy. Even if we haven't experienced the exact same thing as that person, I do feel that there is a sensitivity that we have to other people. And part of that, I think, especially if you have a history of trauma, Part of that is, you know, developing these feedback loops with people when we were younger and mirroring and being pulled into their world and enmeshment. And like some of those things can factor in, but it causes us to have more sensitivity to others. We had to pay closer attention for our own survival to what people were feeling. We had to be able to see that and experience that at some level of understanding and we've often been through a lot of things ourselves. So yeah, we are less judgmental of other people on a one-on-one -on -one basis. We're more able to see where they're coming from and why they may have made those decisions and able to offer them you know, a shoulder to lean on or a shoulder to cry on if necessary. And one of the things that comes from this as well, that is a very beautiful thing about neurodivergent people is that we are far less likely to take out our shit on other people. Just because we're hurt or we're angry or we're frustrated, we are far less likely to take that out on other people because we are very self-aware and we're always trying to work on our own personal equilibrium and we're trying to balance ourselves out. But we're also, because we are empathetic, 
we are aware of the fact that that other person is in fact a person. They have feelings. They will be affected by the things that we say and do. Even if we're not intentionally directing our anger, hurt, or frustration at them, they will still feel the weight of it. They will still feel the brunt of it and they may still internalize it. And why do we know this? Because we, more often than not, have also internalized and absorbed hurt and anger and frustration and pain that other people projected onto us or inflicted onto us or pulled us into. And so we're much more conscientious and intentional about how we interact with with other people, especially people close to us, but even a lot of times just complete strangers. We don't want to inflict things on other people because we do have that empathy and we do have that sensitivity and we don't want to hurt others. We are more willing, from what I have noticed, we are far more willing to self-combust and take it out on ourselves than we are to take it out on other people. And while that is also not healthy, I do see that sensitivity and capacity for empathy as being a strength and something really beautiful. And it can be overwhelming sometimes too. I mean, that's part of the reason why I do tend to keep my distance from people as a whole because if I'm honest and I, you know, I put on a, a front of being really rigid and spiky and wearing that armor and I don't like people and all that, like I put on that armor, but it based part of the, a huge part of the reason why I have that is because I have always been very, very sensitive and social interactions are overwhelming to me and always thinking about whether or not I'm going to be doing something that would harm another person. That's always in the back of my head. I feel like all neurodivergent people, we have that. It's a gift and it's a curse. It's a real mixed bag. But I think ultimately, again, when it comes to being a balancing force for the world, I feel like that is one of our most beautiful assets that we offer to the world around us is that empathy and the refusal to intentionally inflict pain on another person. That specifically is a big part of the reason that I, I do not socialize much. As Ivy said, it is an armor, that spikiness, that brick wall boundary. It's because I have a tendency to be excessively empathetic with other people, to be that shoulder, to absorb those tears into myself. And so I have to be more rigid with my boundaries and I have to put on the armor so that I can save resources for myself. And so... The next point in our notes, which I find it kind of funny because the way this worked out, I'm going to be introducing this and talking about this, is that a lot of neurodivergent people also tend to be less pushy with their solutions. And I find this humorous that I'm the one talking about it because this just goes to show that, like we said, these are platitudes, these are generalizations, and they don't apply to every neurodivergent person. Because obviously, I definitely identify as neurodivergent, but I also know that I am extremely pushy with solutions. Because if you come to me with a problem, the way my mind works is I'm like, let's solve this. Not let's fix you, mind you, because I am very cognizant of the fact that you don't necessarily need to be fixed. But how do we change the environment? How do we change society? How do we change these parameters? And I do tend to get, unfortunately, very pushy with my solutions. And it usually takes me a little bit to realize, oh shit, I am being overly pushy. And once I realize that, I do try to back away though, because a lot of us neurodivergent people have had so many people try to fix us or step in to fix our situations. 
And we don't have a lot of tolerance for that. And so I really have to get out of myself and be like, okay, wait, 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 wait. They don't need me to fix what's going on with them. I would not like that. They probably don't like that either. And so I kind of throw this back to Ivy because I think she tends to be very not pushy with with her solutions for people's problems. I do tend to be very not pushy with uh, solutions to people's problems. But I, I would note, though, with what you were saying, I feel in all the years that I've known you that your your natural inclination is to be pushy with solutions, especially with people that you care about, but in general to be pushy with solutions because you want to resolve the issue because that hyper responsibility that you have. Yes, that is a natural inclination for you, but you still fit into this category to me because while that's your natural inclination, you can turn it off. It may take great effort for you, but you can turn it off. Whereas there's lots of other people that are so pushy with solutions that they can't turn it off. And that's part of the reason why you and I have always been able to maintain a good relationship is because I am somebody who does not deal well with people pushing their prerogative on me, with people telling me what I need to do and how I should be doing it and what needs to be fixed and how it needs to be fixed. I don't do well with that. The fact that you and I are still as close as we are is evidence of your ability to you know, read me and also fight back against your own natural tendency to do what is actually best for me, which is to offer assistance, offer advice, and then step back and let me make my own decisions. There's been plenty of other people in my life who could not relinquish their need to control my life and my and my circumstances. And that's where the, the difference is, because I feel like there's probably a lot of neurodivergent people who are deeply empathetic and they do care deeply and they they would identify more as caretakers to other people, but they're still able to step back when they see that it's not really going to be productive and it's not ultimately going to be what's most helpful for that person. And as hard as it is to shut down that natural tendency or to step back when what you really want to do is just go in and save them from the pain that they're in or save them from the circumstances that they find themselves in. The fact that you can step back, that I think is what is really the the defining quality there. No, I, I like that. I like that you pointed that out though, because I think that is a representation of what we talked about already in this episode, that we don't always see our own gifts or talents. And for me, I just thought I was smothering people with my plushies, with my stuffed animals. I'm like, here is my love, choke on it. But you're basically saying, I may chuck my stuffed animal at you, but then I leave you to decide whether or not to pick it up, which points out something about me that I didn't realize, that I do love you enough to part with something that is very meaningful to me, which is my resources and my time and my empathy, but that I don't force it on other people. All right, so let's move on to, because we are talking about relationships here, let's move on to the peeps in our Easter basket, those yummy, sugar-covered marshmallow wonderfulness. Though I will say I do prefer the bunnies to the chickens. Peeps here represent the meaningful relationships and connections we have as neurodivergent people a lot of us we have we have very small friend groups a lot of us has very small what we actually consider friend or meaningful relationships groups but that's actually a good thing because we're very selective about who we choose to surround ourselves with who we choose to invest in who we choose to allow to share our resources with and 
that means that those people we do choose as friends, that we do choose as our family, whether that's blood or by choice, we can really provide for them in a way that we couldn't when we have a hundred quote-unquote friends. Another great gift in that too is not just what we can provide for other people, but what we in up providing for ourselves. A lot of us that are neurodivergent, whether that is autistic ADHD or any of the other mental health spectrums, we have limited resources. And it is very true that you're not honestly able to care for other people if you're not able to care for yourself first. Limiting our friend groups like that is a great gift to ourselves because we are protecting our resources. We are saying, I am important. My resources are important. And so I think it's not only a gift to those people that we choose to share our friendship and love with, I think it's also a gift to ourselves that we're choosing to love ourselves enough to only invest in those people that will invest in us. I would also note that the people that we do include in our very small circle of friends are often people that know us very well or they at least you know, get to know us very well. And because of that, they know our resources are limited. And so those relationships that they have with us are even more meaningful to them because they know how, how few resources we have to offer. And the fact that we are giving of ourselves to them makes that relationship that much more meaningful. And I suspect as well that a lot of us, we develop our closest relationships often with other people who are neurodivergent in some way. And so there is that reciprocity there. And what I also love in those relationships is that there's a greater understanding of those limited resources. Some of my closest friends that I have who I would die for and they would die for me, we're, we're so close, we may go months or years without speaking to each other or we may schedule to get together six or seven times and cancel before we actually get together because there's that understanding on both sides of limited resources and so there's no judgment, there's no sense that like, oh, you don't care about me because you're not keeping in touch or you don't care about me because you're not meeting up with me. There's a greater understanding of it's just the fact that there's too few hours in the day and there's too little energy and there's too few resources to take care of everything. And so when we have to cancel or flake out, as some of my friends refer to it as, there's no judgment there. There's only love there and there's only understanding there. And when you do get back together with those people, it's like you were never apart. And it's just there's so little pressure and you don't ever have to be afraid that those people are going to bail out on you or leave you because... There's that understanding and that empathy there between the two of you. We have a great capacity for unconditional love. I mean, once we establish that we really care about somebody, then we are loyal to the death. We, if you're going to die on that hill, even if we think you're stupid, we, we will still probably die on that hill with you because we are so loyal because we love you that much and that love is unconditional. Even if we don't agree with you, that love doesn't go away. Even if we have to part ways from you for a period of time, or maybe for the rest of our lives, that love never goes away. It is always there. Once we love, we love forever. I feel like part of the reason we're able to have that unconditional love is because we define relationships in very different ways from how the average person does. A lot of people, they think they have all of these friends and 
I look at it and like, but are they all your friends or are some of them just your acquaintances? Because I feel like a lot of times we end up with these concepts culturally of what friendship is or what romantic partnerships are or what family is. And I don't feel that neurodivergent people are as bound by those societal dictates of what relationships look like and how they're defined. I, I feel that because we are better at reading people, because we are better at self-regulation, because we are so empathetic, all of these things come together to help us to define and cultivate what different relationships mean to us. And those definitions don't always match up with society. And I think that's a good thing. One of the things that, that has become more prominent for me in recent years is looking at romantic relationships. I always really compartmentalized, you know, romantic relationships and friendships and all that sort of thing. But if I'm perfectly honest, if at the point that I'm at in my relationship with Calvin, he is as much my best friend as he is my partner. I don't even know that I really define our relationship as romantic. I don't really have a word for what my relationship with him is. It's something different to me and I'm not playing by the same societal scripts and rules as I've been taught to by society because our relationship doesn't fit within that. And it's kind of the same thing with Autumn. Autumn is family, but I have negative connotations with the word family. Autumn is something else to me entirely. There is no real word for what she is to me. Yes, she is my sister. We are blood related. She is one of my best friends in the entire world. She was like a mother to me. She's like a guardian angel to me. She's a little bit of everything. And I, I think neurodivergent people, we do view relationships differently. And because of our ability to see the ambiguity in things, we don't expect everything to fit into these tiny little perfect boxes. And we don't always play by the rules as far as what relationships are supposed to look like. Yes. And and Ivy and I joke that we talk in spite of the fact that we're sisters. We have a close relationship despite that fact, not because of it. And that is accurate because I think we do have very different ideas of what relationships are and they often don't fit well with societal labels. And I will throw that caveat out that this particular gift in the neurodivergent basket, the peeps, those intimate relationships, those deep connections, this is a gift that really starts to bloom when we start to come into our own, when we start being authentic and true with ourselves and our resources, that's when we start seeing these relationships develop. Because when we are trying to make the societal ideas of relationships and the societal labels for our relationships work, I think we suffer a lot. And I think that's why a lot of us feel alien and a lot of us feel lonely. But when we're finally able to start dropping that mask and we're able to open ourselves up and be more authentic and reach out for those people that are also being authentic, yes, our friend groups will probably be very, very tiny. It may be one other person is your friend group, but that is going to be such a meaningful, close, intimate, wonderful, dynamic relationship. Okay, let's move on to the chocolate bunny. I feel like all Easter baskets, there is, or should be at least, a lovely chocolate bunny, right? But neurodivergent people, we are not the hollow bunnies. No, sir, we are not the cheaply made, hollow, light as a feather bunnies. We are that two pound, solid chocolate, could be used to cave in somebody's skull bunny. We are the good stuff. We have substance. All the mental health spectrums, if you've made it this far in life, 
you've probably been through some stuff and whether we like it or not and honestly trust me most days i hate it we are resilient we are solid we will make it through yes you may leave us in the car and we will melt all over the motherfucking seat but we're still going to be some really good chocolate whether we just figure or not i would say also it is impossible to be both neurodivergent and superficial not only do we have substance but i feel like we are made of like the good chocolate like that really yummy smooth european chocolate we're not that cheap waxy shit we are solid we're not hollow there's a lot going on inside of us and it's it's good like it, there may be aspects of being neurodivergent that are incredibly challenging especially when we're interfacing with the rest of the world but we have a lot of substance we are not vapid beings we are made of good solid sturdy stuff and i don't think that we give ourselves enough credit for just how resilient we are for just how sturdy we are we because we don't always feel resilient we don't always feel sturdy we sometimes feel like we're falling apart or we're losing our minds or we're losing our hope there are so many things about being neurodivergent that are that are just incredibly hard to cope with and live with and because of that sometimes we lose sight of the good things one of the things that comes with being this kind of sturdy that's comes from having this depth and having gone through stuff and having studied a lot about mental health because a lot of us have is a lot of us also are really well equipped to handle crises we may not like it but i do feel a lot of us can handle crises better than the average person can and part of that especially for my individuals that have been through some stuff that that have that ptsd diagnosis you've been through it so you know how to get through it again you're not in panic mode you're not oh my god we're never going to survive you're like i've survived this before i've survived worse before you have a confidence to get through it and if you're like me you may be tired of having to get through stuff but you still can you know in fact for me for the longest time in my adult life i did better in crisis than i did in normal life if there was a crisis going on if something was going wrong I was fine. I could handle that. I could navigate my way through that. It was the normality and the stillness that I had trouble with. And so it took me longer to figure out how to deal with stability than it did to learn how to deal with a crisis. And I would say that's very accurate for a lot of people that are neurodivergent. Even if you don't have PTSD, even if it's just the autistic spectrum or the ADHD, again, what comes into play here is that we don't necessarily have those preconceived ideas about things. We don't buy into the script that everybody else is getting, giving us, and we are resourceful. So when that crisis does hit, we're able to step back with a little bit more objectivity to look at the resources available to make our own conclusions and decisions and to navigate more peacefully through that crisis. All right, let's move on to dyed Easter eggs. Right? And you may be like, well, dyed Easter eggs, you know, the kind where you actually boil an egg and then you put it in the little color tablet water. Aren't those what you go searching for? Aren't they not actually in the basket more often than not? And I would say yes. And I think that's the point of this particular symbol because dyed Easter eggs are actually a really great symbol for many of us that are neurodivergent, especially if you're on the autism ADHD or you've struggled with your mental health since your youth. Because a lot of us, we did our best for the longest time to try to blend in with all of those store-bought eggs, those perfectly sized, perfectly white eggs that you can get at the supermarket. But we're not that. We're 
different shapes where different colors were pretty browns and gorgeous blues and mottled browns and we have all this diversity but we tried so hard to fit in with all the little white perfectly shaped eggs which we can't do but this is part of why that dyed easter egg is such a great symbol for this because at some point maybe you've not reached it yet but at some point we wake up to the fact that that's not who we want to be that's not who we were meant to be and we have to go in search of who we are. We have to find that dyed Easter egg. We have to find out who we are. And we learn to embrace our colors. We learn to embrace that we're not white little oval. We're a very round robin's egg blue. And that's okay. Or maybe we're a giant ostrich egg. And yes, we are so much huger than all the others. But wow, how much protein do we have? And once we embrace those colors, that next step is learning to enhance those colors. Not only do we say, yes, I am this robin's egg blue. Yes, I am this ostrich egg. We fully embrace that and we start displaying that to the world. And I, I will admit that is a step I am still struggling with right there. I have come to accept my robin's egg blue, but I'm still working with openly displaying as much as I really want to to the world. I admittedly am still working on that myself. I have gone through so many transitions in who I feel like I am as a person and how I choose to express myself, which I have accepted is, is part of me. I'm like a color changing egg. I always have been and I'm, I'm accepting that, but I'm moving into the next step of whatever that looks like. And I'm not sure what that looks like yet. So I don't know that I'll ever find something that's completely stable because there's been other times in my life where I have felt like oh, I am fully myself now. And this is who I really am. This is who I've been all along. And then a few years later, I realize, hmm, this doesn't feel like it fits right anymore. And so I go through another metamorphosis into something else. And I imagine that there's probably a lot of other neurodivergent people who, who are doing the same thing. Uh, and, you know, others who they, they are that robin's egg blue and they accept that and that's who they are. And then they're just looking for how they want to express that more fully. And again, we're speaking of you know, generalizations within that broad umbrella of neurodivergence. So there's so many different ways that you can look at it. But the fact of the matter is, is that we are different. We are not grocery store eggs. We are something you know, outside of that, beyond that, outside of the box, outside of the egg crate. And one of the things that I find to be really wonderful about that is that because we do finally, at some point, Come to that understanding that we are not going to be uniform, that we are not going to be able to fit those expectations of perceived perfection that society has laid out. We don't have to care anymore. <laughs> We're never going to reach that expectation. Why even keep trying anymore? It is wasted effort and it's not even fun for us. And why cover up who we are when we could be authentically ourselves? I mean, if people aren't going to like us, then they're not going to like us. If, if I got to try too hard to get people to like me, what's the point? They're never really liking me. And so I, I feel like we do ultimately reach that, that space. And when we do, we go through this beautiful change because we have more freedom. There is something as challenging as it may be to live as a neurodivergent person in our society. There is nothing more liberating in some ways than to get to a point where you recognize, I'm never going to fit those expectations. I'm never going to fit in. I'm never going to be part of the crowd. Fuck it. Then I will be whoever I want to be. 
And hopefully what we will also have is the ability to encourage other people to grow in the same way, to embrace that freedom for themselves, to seize that for themselves and to express themselves however it is that they want to and to be authentically themselves. Go be you. And who cares what anybody else thinks? Dress how you want, think how you want, be who you want, act how you want, and be enthusiastic, feel passion like we talked about before. Be you and be authentic because as I said before, the world needs you. The world needs more people who are authentic and original and inventive and creative and who are able to express themselves freely so that we can break out of the box that we, we've you know, basically shoved into for most of our lives, we don't fit and we shouldn't have to. And that should be common knowledge that people shouldn't have to fit in a box. And if we have no other power, that's a power that we do have is by our personal example, showing other people that they, they don't have to be in the box. They can be whatever it is that they wish. Those ideas you're expressing of personal autonomy and using that personal autonomy and your authenticity to really inspire others, that ties directly into our very last Easter egg of today. And this is rebirth and growth. And yes, this is not exactly found in your Easter basket, but like I said at the beginning of the episode with my fact of the day, this is what Easter's all about. It's that idea of coming out of that winter chrysalis and bursting into spring and the new growth that comes with that. And this is one of the most beautiful joys or gifts of being neurodivergent is that we inspire growth and we inspire rebirth and we inspire other people around us, whether we intend to or not. People that are neurodivergent are different. That means we challenge the status quo by our very existence and that challenging of the status quo can be very inspiring to others because I'll let you in on a little secret. I don't think a whole lot of people are really all that happy with the status quo. Most people don't enjoy being a cog in the machine. Most people don't enjoy having to make their mental health a last priority or not being allowed to express themselves as they wish to be or not even being allowed to express themselves at all. That's not something the majority of people really like or want, but it's part of what society expects. And because they've not questioned the scripts, because they've just lived with the status quo and seen nothing else, it's what they do. And when we come along and we are different and we are no longer the status quo, it opens a lot of people's eyes and we create change around us. And I've noticed, not everybody, I'm not saying I'm 100% amazing like unicorn glitter or whatever, but I've made a lot of positive impact on the people around me because I am different. And part of that is changing their perceptions. Part of it is allowing them to question the status quo that they've always lived under and not been comfortable with. And part of it is inspiring them to, as Ivy said, become more authentically themselves, to be who they are and were afraid to be. Because if somebody else can do it, maybe they can too. I mentioned our mom at the beginning of this episode. And one of the things that is irrefutable about our mom is that whether you loved her or you hated her, and that woman did provoke strong emotions in nearly everybody that she met, whether you loved her or you hated her, you never fucking forgot her. 
she was such a memorable person and it was because of how authentic she was it was because she didn't hide herself there was something about her that just stood out and i feel like that is such a a common denominator among neurodivergent people and it, it may be something that you even struggle with i struggled with it for a pretty good portion of my life and sometimes i still do I jokingly refer to myself sometimes as a harbinger of change because so many people, especially when, when I was in my teens and my early twenties and just kind of branching out into adulthood, you know, I was just trying to find my own way. I wasn't really trying to have a strong impact on other people. I was scared. I was struggling with my mental health. I was trying to heal from trauma. I felt like a complete and total shit show. Like I was a train way off the tracks. Like I was not trying to impact other people. I, I didn't feel like that was my place. I, I, what business do I have having any impact on other people? But so many people that I did encounter, they would come back to me later and tell me, how much they had changed or how different their perspective was or how they had started healing. And sometimes it wasn't pleasant for them. And I would have so much guilt about that to the point where I really started withdrawing into myself more because I, I really did feel like I was just this destructive force that I was coming into their lives and turning their world upside down. And some of them were resentful of it and some of them were angry about it and then one of the people that i dated i was in my mid-20s and it was the the only woman that i've ever dated and we were having a conversation about this aspect of me and i was talking to her about how guilty i felt about some of the changes that she had been going through since we had met that were really challenging for her and she looked at me and she said, you know what, it has been challenging. It's been really hard. Some of these things were things that I didn't want to confront and I, I didn't really think about and I didn't consider that they needed healing. But I'm glad that this has happened. I'm grateful that I met you. I'm thankful that I'm going through these changes and that I'm healing those things and I have these different perspectives now. And yeah, it's not always pleasant, but it, it's good. I, I feel like this is benefiting me. And that really did start to shift the way that I thought about my impact on others. I try very hard not to leave a negative impact on people. I want my, my footprint in this world to be as positive as it possibly can. But for better or for worse, I feel like all neurodivergent people, we are harbingers of change because we do see the world through such different eyes. We view everything differently. We think about everything differently. We break everything down differently. We do rock the boat. We shake the foundations. We are so different and we're so odd and it's confusing to people and it's fascinating to people. And sometimes it's, it's like getting too close to a fire and some people get resentful of it and they get angry. Some people are challenged, but they're incredibly grateful for it. But one way or the other, we are harbingers of change in this world. And to a certain degree, yes, everybody has the capacity to change the world in their own way. But it does seem to me that neurodivergent people do this even more. And a lot of times we don't mean to. A lot of times we feel like, like a bull in a china shop. And we're just muddling through, we're trying to get by, we're just trying to be ourselves, we're just trying to be who we are without causing a ton of chaos and havoc. 
but by nature of who we are, by the way that we exist and the way that we express ourselves and how we think about things and how we perceive things, we cannot help but be harbingers of change in this world. Just by existing in this world and setting the example, whether we even know we're doing it or not, we set things in motion for other people. We are catalysts for change. We, we just make change happen. But as challenging as that may be for us or as challenging as it may be for other people, I still feel like this is the greatest gift that we have to give to, to the world. Our, our Easter basket may be full of all sorts of goodies, may be full of all sorts of challenges that we have to deal with, but every day of our lives, whether we intend to or not, we give of ourselves to the world. We're constantly giving what is the Easter basket of us to everybody that we encounter, to every situation that we go into, and we don't always realize that we're doing it. And people have to decide what they're going to do with the thoughts we provoke in them and the feelings that we provoke in them. And the perspective shifts that people will have to choose what to do when we shake their foundations. But I will always feel that this is something that is a positive thing that we offer to this world because the boat needs to be rocked. And if no one else is going to do it, it might as well be us. We're already the oddballs anyway. Just go ahead and shake the boat a little bit. If we fall in, we'll figure it out. The boat does need to be rocked. I very much agree with that. And we, maybe we weren't given the script, but that doesn't mean we can't help to rewrite it. And so we hope that as you've listened into today's episode, that maybe you've seen a few of the goodies that are in your Easter basket and you've come to realize that you have a lot of really awesome things to offer and maybe even recognize something in yourself that you didn't know you had to offer or didn't even know you were offering, but are. Like Ivy said, yes, there are a lot of struggles that can come with being neurodivergent, but there are also a lot of blessings and gifts and joys, not just for yourself, but for other people and possibly even for society. So for today, we will go ahead and wrap up. Ivy, if you want to throw them all of our connecty bits, if you would. You can find us at our website, www.differentfunctional.com. We are on Facebook as Different Functional. We are on Instagram and TikTok as Different underscore Functional. Feel free to email us at differentfunctional at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you guys. Please rate and review and subscribe to the podcast. Tell people about us, if you please. If you are enjoying the podcast, tell people about us. If you hate the podcast, fuck, tell people about us anyway. No such thing as bad publicity. Even if you don't like us, somebody else might. So spread the word and leave us a rating or review. But if you're going to rate the podcast, please don't leave us a one-star review. That's just a dick move and not a good one. Yes, please, please do give us a hopefully positive rating. Tell other people about us. The more publicity we get out there, the better. We would love to have more people listen to this and hopefully more people learn about the wonderful gifts that they have to offer others. For today, we wish you a happy Easter. And as always, remember, different does not mean defective. Yeah.